20 in your Bible. And the back doors are being closed, so anyone that's wandering out out there is just going to miss a couple of things, but that's good enough, okay? All right, let's get ourselves going today. Lord, open our understanding as we conclude our time together. May you lead us by your Spirit, guide us into the truths of your book. Let us behold wondrous things of thy law. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen, okay? Uh, the nature of the millennium. Millennium is, what's Brian's word? Awesome, right? It will be just incredible. A Jewish 1,000-year reign on this earth where everything is run right. And if anybody decides they want to mess around, we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ with the mind of Christ, and we'll be able to read their minds and if somebody decides that they want to go <coughs> rent a hotel room in Las Vegas on the 32nd floor and bring a bunch of ammunition in there, we'll just walk right up to him and go, don't even think about it. <laughs> Won't that be cool? Okay. And uh, animal creation will be subdued. Some of my favorite television is Nat Geo Wild and Animal Planet and those shows. You ever watch that stuff? Just fascinating things to look at God's creation and the creatures that are down under the sea and uh, the beauty of those things and how they're so weirdly put together and then, and then the animal creation here on earth and you watch those shows where the lions are stalking the prey and the cheetahs and how beautiful those animals are and yet they have to kill another animal in order to be able to live themselves and how all of that wildness in the kingdom is going to be brought down and tamed and uh, <coughs> you know there is no doggy heaven but we will have pets in the millennium won't that be cool awesome uh, I'm a dog person now not really a cat person I you know you look at at least dogs you know <laughs> dogs will interact with you you know they'll at least you know acknowledge the fact that you exist you know and you look at your cat and say hey come here and a cat goes you talking to me One of our pastors has a sign on his desk that says, I like cats, but I can't finish a whole one. So, you know, it's just like. <laughs> it's funny joke, folks. It's a joke. It's not, you know, we don't, we don't eat cats in our church or anything like that. But I have always said that when I get to, when we get to that time, I want a pet white Bengal tiger. Would that be just awesome or what? I, you know, to use Brian's word. You know, that's just the most beautiful, majestic animal you can see. The thing stand about that tall, you know, and walking down the streets of the city with a white Bengal tiger right next to you, and folks going, <gasps> oh, wait, wrong dispensation. <coughs> <laughs> <coughs> so this is just going to be <coughs> an incredible time <coughs> that we look forward to knowing how the scope of prophecy lays out and how God has revealed to us what's going to happen in the future. And we get down toward the end of that time uh, called the millennial reign when everything is just going 
just marvelously, okay? The world operating the way it's supposed to, even with sinful people here, uh, and as Brian laid out so well, you have to have sinful people here in order for us to show, for God to show us how things are supposed to be run right, okay? And so he demonstrates that to us for a thousand years, and then that leads us to the final rebellion. It tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit, a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Mark laid that out last night. Cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Saratosuboka just shut his mouth and shut him and closed him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And then, huh? What? And after that he must be loosed a little season? Verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. God, no, don't do that. I mean, I've read that passage many, many times, and for years and years, I said, why are you doing, God, have you lost your mind? I know you know what you're doing most of the time, but really, don't, don't, no, don't do that. Don't let him out. Why are you letting him out again? And then it dawned on me that God is proving how irreformable Satan is and how irreformable human nature is without his glory and without his new birth. You see this, Satan be put in timeout <laughs> for a thousand years, and it's not the timeout where you sit him in the corner for five minutes with their toys right next to them, and they just have to sit there for a while until they chill out. You know how that is with your children. And then they go back, to, you know, life goes back to a normal dull roar, dull, dull roar after that. This is time out for a thousand years in the flames of an eternal hell. And after that thousand years, he lets him out. You know kids are like this. I mean, we see it in our society now. And it's <coughs> getting worse and worse all the time about um, some uh, children are just absolutely uncontrollable. You're just, you can't even... You look at that and you go, how is this not being dealt with and what is going on here? And I think that some of it, and without getting a long thing of this, but some of it is just the irresponsibility of the parents, obviously. Uh, I was in the Houston airport a number of years ago coming back from one of our Belize trips and we're sitting there, you know, at the gate and waiting for the plane stuff and all that. And there's this family there and a mother and a father and a couple little kids, kids, boy and a girl, probably about four and six, maybe something like that. And these two children were, you know, children have boundless energy, and you, you, you know, you, you let kids be kids, right? But these children were just out of control beyond my wildest imagination I've ever seen children be out of control. And they're screaming and running around and uh, tormenting people and tormenting their mother and their father. And their mom and their dad are sitting there going, now, Johnny... Now, see, now, quit. Now, 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 don't do that. Now, put, no, don't do. At one point, the dad just put his hands in his head like this, and just you know, like this, 
At one point, the little girl went up and slapped her mother. You can't make me do that. And ran around some more, screaming, yelling, and just making a complete tyrant of themselves. I came that close to walking up to mom and dad and saying, if you do not know how to spank those children, I do. (laughs) And you would have visited me in jail. (laughs) And what we have with Satan is 1,000 years of torment, punishment, discipline, correction, binding, lake of fire, time out beyond our wildest imagination of how severe it is and God lets him out and look what happens when the thousand years are expired Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea they went up on the breadth of the earth come past the camp of the saints about the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them as Brian said instantly without any uh, issue there (coughs) this proves that Satan is irreformable some teach that eventually Satan will be restored and we will go back to the whole thing again and Uh, start (coughs) another cycle all over again all that other kind of junk that's nonsense when we get to this particular point in time everything has been dealt with everything has been manifested and when we get out to eternity future it is finished it is done and then it's starting all over and the cycle will not repeat itself and God does this to manifest things what God does he does to manifest his truth and manifest his nature and his glory (coughs) and once it is fully manifest it takes a thousand years for mankind to go okay I see it now and once that's done it's done it's manifest it's seen it's demonstrated it's shown uh, it is clear to everyone and God says, okay see it there it is and now you have the example of it you can look at it and once that happens with Satan it is done it is over with and the instant he is let out he gathers an army just right Im- immediately you have all of this pent-up sin nature that mankind has had now for a thousand years one of the things Brian went through in the millennial reign (coughs) we still have here at that time we are conformed to the image of Christ but there's still sinful human beings on this planet on this earth multiplying reproducing having children born in Adam's image still with that sin nature now that sin nature is under control and it is dealt with (coughs) <coughs> and uh, it is, uh, it, it's not going crazy like it is, has today, it, it, but at the same time, that sin nature is still there. How can man, in a perfect environment, in the utopia that he has always wanted, still look at it and go, I don't like this? How is that? It just, I mean, th- there's some things I just do not understand. I can't wrap my head around this. 
I cannot wrap my head around the fact that you're going to be, mankind has wanted this forever and ever since the garden. Uh, they, talk, they sang about it at Woodstock. We've just got to get back to the garden, right? They're not talking about, uh, you know, someplace with vegetables. They're talking about the Garden of Eden. They want to get back to the utopia. They want to get back. That's what mankind is doing. That's what every political speech is about, trying to get to the utopia time of civilization where men treat each other correctly and properly, and we all live together in harmony and peace and brotherhood, and that's what the millennium is going to be like. And people are going to look at that and go, well, I don't like it. Really? Creation put back the way it's supposed to be, weather the way it's perfect, you know, uh, 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 situation, the desert blooming like the rose, the animal kingdom subdued, mankind dealing with each other the way that they're supposed to, and somebody says, nah, I don't want to do that. I want to do something different. The depravity of human nature. It's almost like, I, you see this sometimes with, with some of God's people. Some of God's people are just not happy unless they're miserable, right? You know people like that? Do you know people that are just not happy unless they're complaining about something? And, and they're just, <coughs> even Christians do this sometimes, because we, we, we still have this sin nature. It's just everything has to be something wrong about this, something wrong about that, Sometime, I, I think some of those Christians are going to get to heaven and going to look around and go, everybody's going to be rejoicing and celebrating and praising God at the throne. Isn't this awesome? And they're going to, that's just too perfect here. <laughs> just. And people will be like that in the millennial reign. I don't like it here. Why? What is it you don't like about this? What is, it that you, what is it you can't get? And that's the depravity of human nature that is irreformable without the new birth. And the people, there will be people going into the millennial reign who do not have that new birth yet. We'll get it at some, they will get it later on as we'll deal with today. But they're going to be in that environment. And when, they're, and when Satan is left, let out and he taps into that instantly... <clears throat> the four quarters of the earth, it doesn't take him very long at all, and it doesn't take very long for Jesus to deal with it either. And he does so. <clears throat> the judgment is complete, it's immediate, it is final, and when it is done, that, that vaults us immediately into the great white throne judgment. Now, <coughs> this is, as it says in your notes, the greatest trial in history. Sometime you might uh, ask a friend of yours or whatever, some of you, somebody, it's another way of uh, sharing the gospel with somebody. Um, one of the things you don't want to do is ask questions that, are, that have yes, no answers to them. Are you a Christian? And they answer yes, and you go, 90% of the people in the United States are Christians. Now what am I going to do? Okay? Ask questions that are open-ended. Ask questions that, that create a conversation. Do you believe in God? Yeah, okay. Well, can, if you believe in God, he's gonna, you must acknowledge at some point in time that he's going to judge. What do you think that's going to be like? And let them talk to you about what they think God's going, judgment is going to be like. Now, we know, <coughs> studying the Bible here, that the final judgment is the one that culminates the seven judgments in the Bible. They're given to you. They're in your notes. I'm not going to go through them. 
because this is the final one, and this is the one everybody thinks about, especially the lost people. Well, of course, you know, God's going to judge someday. He's going to make everything right. All the bad things you've done, he's going to have to deal with those, and the things you've done that are right that others have not rewarded you for, God's going to have to deal with that as well, and so they will think that God will take the, all the good stuff that we've done over here and all the bad stuff we've done and put them over here and sort of do one of these little teeter-totter things in which whatever way he teeters, that's which way you totter. And so if, you know, there's enough good over here to overweigh the bad over here, then God certainly should let me into heaven because I've been a pretty good person. I've never killed anybody. That's the first thing out of their mouth, right? Uh, why do they say that? Because instinctively, yes, you have killed somebody. You killed Jesus Christ. You sent him to the cross for your sin. And so they acknowledge that, and that's what happens. Some, everybody has to be judged. So how do you see that happening? And get some of their uh, feedback on that, and you'll determine whether or not that person knows whether or not Jesus has paid the penalty for their sin and uh, trusted him as their Savior. And uh, so they'll think, that well, you know, God will line up everybody, all of human beings, in the order of their goodness. And over here you might have, you know, the... Mother Teresa's of the world, and over you'll have the Charlie Manson and Adolf Hitler's of the world, and they'll say, well, at least I'm not as bad as him. What a wonderful standard to set yourself up with, okay? <laughs> <coughs> and you line them all up in order of goodness. Just ask him this one. Okay, how many billions of people? There's seven and a half billion of us now, and there's getting, has to have been, you know, two, three, four, five hundred billion of us, maybe a trillion of us, who have lived on planet Earth over this last... 6,000 years of, of human history, if God lined them all up in order sequentially of the best over here and the worst over there, and then said, okay, let's see, where am I going to draw the line? Well, let's draw it uh, right there. You guys all get to go to heaven. You guys all get to go to hell. You take that guy where well, here's the line right here, this first guy on that hell line And he'd say, hey, wait a minute, God, this guy right over here, this, he's not any better than I am, or what, I mean, it, no, 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 wait a minute, no, the, you can't possibly divide, the, the, there's no difference, seven, 20 billion of us, there's no difference between him, yeah, you're right, let's move it one more person over here. <laughs> hey, God, now wait a minute, okay. So the only solution to this problem is to put the line over here and say, here's Jesus, here's the rest of you turds, okay? <laughs> Excuse me, I'm <laughs> sorry, okay? And that's the final judgment. That's the great white throne judgment. You have the cast of characters that are given to you there at that final judgment. That final judgment is given to us in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, the devil that deceived them, verse 10, was cast into lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. This is a judgment according to what is written in the books. Uh, I happen to have those books with me. You do too. 
There's 66 of them. Okay. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. The death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. They were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Without getting into a long thing about that, because it's complicated and confusing to me as well. I don't understand all the ramifications of it. I just know this, that the standard of judgment is not my good versus my bad. It is Jesus and perfection, because that's God's standard, holiness. If God allowed us into heaven like we are now, heaven would no longer be a perfect place. Something has to Somebody, somewhere along the line, has to close that gap between perfection and where we are now. And if you're hauled into court for a speeding ticket, if you went, you know, you got arrested for going 100 miles an hour in a school zone, um, <coughs> you know, and you were drunk at the time, you could go into that court and the judge would say, hey, we have a ticket here 100 miles an hour in a courtroom or, or in a school zone and you were drunk, you're going to have to pay the fine for this particular uh, infraction, you could not stand up and say, but you know, I'm a really good person, and I never killed anybody. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of, I go to church, uh, you know, and I've done a lot of good things as well. I've given money to all these good charitable causes. I mow my grass, I pay my taxes, I'm kind to my neighbors, I help little ladies across the street, I do my, none of that matters. Because you have a fine you have to pay for that ticket, and that's what Jesus did for us at the cross. Those who have rejected him then will stand before God and give an account, and it will be a courtroom trial. All of your Perry Masons and L.A. Law and all of the stuff that you've seen on television 10,000 times will be played out in a court of law. The cast of characters are there. God is, of course, the judge, God the Father. In Daniel chapter 7, he sits upon the throne, the Ancient of Days. At that time, the defense attorney is Jesus Christ. And if you have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have no defense attorney. And that defense attorney has been not retained. He has not been, uh, the retainer has not been paid. Therefore, he sits silent and cannot defend you. Therefore, the individual must defend himself in court. And there's a saying in the law profession that goes this way. A man who would defend himself in court has a fool for a client. Okay? And that's because you, you need defense. You, you, you can't defend that case yourself. And you know, you know how that, that type of, of thing works. The, uh, <coughs> uh, that, that makes the sinner stand pro se and defend himself in court, and he has to stand up in the face of his sin, and God says, okay, here, d let's replay all of the things that you said. Let's replay the things you thought. <laughs> let's replay the things you didn't have the courage to carry out, but you wish you would have been able to do. Let's carry out, let's play out all the things you actually did do. A fine needs to be paid for this one, this one, this one, and here's the list. And how long that list is or how short that list is, there's still a list because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so defend yourself. Well, you know, you, God, you just don't seem to understand. Really? Okay. 
Well, I, what about this? What? And God says, well, let me answer that for you right here in the books. The bailiff is the spirit of God. The bailiff in the court keeps keeps order in the courtroom, and the bailiff reads the charges, right? What are the charges, um, Your Honor? Well, here they are, and uh, the charges are given to you in the, in the Word of God in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32. Uh, that passage where the wrath of God is revealed against men because they held not the truth of God, and they held the truth of God in unrighteousness, and all of the sins and the filth and the uh, humanity, the degradation, the downward spiral of human nature is given to you in Romans chapter 1 right there. Great example of that. We are the jury. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Of course, now we have been uh, cleared at this judgment, and we don't stand at this judgment because Christ paid our judgment upon the cross of Calvary. The judgment of sin was leveled against him. And then we uh, will stand before God and give an account of our lives and our service to him after we are saved, as Mark portrayed on Monday night, uh, called the judgment seat of Christ. And so we do not have to, we're not subpoenaed to this particular uh, court, but we participate. And we participate as the jury. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Dare any of you having a matter against another? Go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Do you not know the saints shall judge the world? Judge not, lest you be judged. Right? That's a verse that every lost person on earth knows. Isn't it? You say something to somebody, well, you know, this is right, this is wrong. Judge not, lest you be judged. And they say it like that, too, that sneery. It just, it's almost like uh, children come out of the womb with that verse. It's almost like that, right? Everybody knows that. It's like the doctor slaps the child on the butt, and the, chi- and the child turns around and goes, judge not, lest you be judged. Okay. <laughs> we will judge the world. And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life? So we will sit in the jury box during the uh, great white throne judgment, and those who are lost, we will judge with the Lord Jesus Christ based upon the law books uh, that are there, that are written, called the Word of God, and the fallen angels as well will be judged by God as the judge and us as the jury. We get to participate with him during that time. And in Daniel chapter 7, it says, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stand before him. And when you run those numbers, that's about one percent. You used to think about that for a minute. Didn't Jesus at one point in time say, you know, if a man have a hundred sheep and 99 of them are with me and one's lost, doesn't he go out and look for that one that is lost and leaves the 99 back here? What's the percentage there? One percent, one out of a hundred. And if you look at that, it, it almost leads me to conclude that of all human beings born from Adam to uh, through the millennial reign up to the time in which this judgment takes place, that one percent of them, not just make you kind of shiver a little bit. Next time you go to 
a large crowd of people, just a ball game for the Indians or Royals or something like that, or a concert or something like that. You had a large group, there was 50,000 people at the, at the stadium or something like that. Sit there, if you go to, to you know, um, say a, a baseball game where there's 50,000 people there, sit there and look at it and just look around. Just go, odds are, odds are, 500 of these people are saved. And 49,500 of them will spend eternity in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. It's kind of sobering to think about that. The prosecutor, of course, is Satan. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he has all the dirt on everybody. He's been behind it for the most part. In Daniel chapter 7, it talks about the voice of the horn who spake. That horn is Satan himself who stands up and says, Oh, yeah, well, what about this and what about that? And, uh, you know, <coughs> when, see, I have a defense attorney, right? Let's just assume, just for a second, I'm, I'm going I'm to be in the jury box, and you are too if you've trusted Christ your Savior, but let's just assume for a minute that he tries to get you to come down here and be defended or, or to, to, to be tried at this great white throne judgment. You know, yeah, well, that guy on the jury box over there, and uh, he's going to look at me and he's going to say, I know that guy. Let me tell you some of the stuff that that guy up there in that jury box, you think he, see, he, l l let, me, let me show you some of the stuff he did, and he'll start trying to trot out some of the stuff of my life, and every time he says, oh yeah, well look at this, what he did, my att defense attorney will stand up and say, objection, your honor, I paid for that. Well, okay, well what about this one? Objection, your honor, I paid for that. And if it gets really hot and heavy and going and back and forth between them, my defense attorney will stand up and say, may I approach the bench, your honor? And as he approaches the bench, he says, uh, listen, dad, I can't lose. <laughs> I can't lose. Okay? But the prosecutor, the accuser of the brethren, Satan will be there, and he will bring out all the dirt and all the charges. Why? Because he wants to, as Mark said last night, capture lost people, bind them, put them in his prison, seal them up, and he'll do so with all the list of sins that they have committed throughout their lives. And the guy has to defend himself, and the defense attorney is sitting there going, you know, I'd really like to help you, but I can't. You didn't pay the retainer by faith. The defendant, of course, is every lost person and every fallen angel in all of history, and uh, we will participate with that. And the gallery is the crowd, the saved of all the uh, ages, not including the church because we are actually part of the jury but there will be a gallery or a crowd there also and <coughs> those would be people you know Moses David and folks during the tribulation period or the millennial reign who uh, you know came through and had their means of salvation as well during that particular uh, time as well they will participate by being there everybody's going to be there 
It's like, how long is this thing going to take? Because they're talking about billions and billions of people, and, uh, and all their life has to be put down, and they have to, you know, shown, and they have to be judged, and next, next, next. How long is it going to take? Or where else are we going to go? What else we got to do? Okay. No time with God, right? And so uh, for us, it could be, well, this might take a few a trillion years, and you got, some, you got somewhere else you need to go, or what? Okay, so that's the basis of it. The standard of judgment, of course, is the word of God, living and written. Jesus is the standard of judgment. Uh, Romans chapter 2, look at that verse for just a minute. Romans chapter 2. <coughs> now, I, I teach this... Um, judgment final judgment at romans chapter one two and three up to about the uh, actually uh, toward the end of romans chapter three that section romans chapter one through three is the, is probably the greatest picture of the of the great white throne judgment anywhere in the bible because it begins with paul after his basic introduction of romans talking about all the charges against humanity and of the list of sins that he he goes through in chapter one that in chapter 2, you have all the defenses coming along, and then in chapter 3, toward the end, it says, all the world shall be guilty before God. And so you have a great picture there of what takes place during the great white throne judgment. Now, if you look at chapter 2 of Romans, starting in verse 12, and look down to verse 16, I want you to notice something before we read here. I'm going to skip some verses. I'm going to read verse 12 and then verse 16. And the reason I'm going to do that is because if you'll just slow down for a minute and pay attention to your Bible, you can pick up a couple of things. Do you see a parenthesis mark at the beginning of verse 13 and one at the end of verse 15? That means that everything in verse 13, 14, and 15 is sort of a side thought. It's important, it's there, it's very much, you know, every word of God is pure, understand that. But to get the structure of the flow of the what God is saying the parenthetical thought gets set aside. It's like, okay, here's the main thing, and oh, by the way, this also fits in there. So I'm going to skip that portion as I'm reading so that you can see what I'm, what, what I'm dealing with here. Romans 2, verse 12 says, For as many as have sinned without law, there's the heathen in Africa, there's the Gentile uh, without, without the law, you know, um, um, <coughs> in, in any age and dispensation, what about those who never heard that kind of question? For as many have sinned without law shall also perish without law. As many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, great white throne, by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. The standard is the gospel and Jesus Christ. So those who have accessed the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior through the gospel escape this judgment. Others, the standard, God will judge the secrets of men by the good things you've done here and the bad things you've done there. No. God will judge the secrets of men by lining us all up in order of goodness and grading according to the curve and drawing the line at that spot. No. God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to the gospel. Did you accept what he did for you on the cross? Nope. Okay, down you go. 
And that's the standard that is given. And then the written word of God will be the books that are opened, and that will expose the doom of the sinner and lead them into an eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the great white white throne is. Now, as I mentioned in Romans chapter 1 through 3, you have a great picture of the judgment seat of Christ. And as after God uh, lays out the charges in the first chapter, there's a series of defenses given chapter 2 and and the first half of chapter 3 and uh, just run briefly through these things so that we can get them thou art inexcusable O man whosoever thou that judgest you judge another you condemn yourself thou that judgest doeth the same thing these are the people who compare themselves with others this is the defense that this is the one that you run into most of the time by the way these five basic defenses in this passage are the five basic things you run into when you share the gospel with people. And you have the answers given to you in this passage as well as to how to respond and how to deal with that. God answers every one of these because here's the guy saying, okay, this is what I know, God, you should let me into heaven because I'm a good person. And God says, no, no, here's the answer to that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no respect of persons with God. I'm a good person, I'm better than such and such and so and so. That's the first one you usually run into. Well, I'm a good person, I'm better than that guy. You should, I shouldn't have to go to hell because I, a couple of bad things, because you know, bad people go to hell, I'm a good person, right? That's a defense, that's an objection that you and I run into when we share the gospel with people. Then they'll say, oh yeah, well what about the heathen? What about those who've never heard? Well you have, your move. Okay, the heathen are lost. The lost are lost, and without getting into a long thing about this, it's just one of those theological nuts that some people just can't seem to to put the wrench on correctly and and tighten it down uh, properly. Um, <coughs> if you have a tribe of people in Africa, we always pick on Africa for this. What about the heathen in Africa? What about the heathen that live next door to you? Okay. <laughs> But if you've got a tribe of people, say 500 or so people out there in the middle of nowhere who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, and if they are safe in their ignorance, and then I go carry the gospel to them, and I tell them about Jesus, what have I done? Some of them will respond, and those who don't then end up going to hell. Before I got there, they were all going to heaven. So the best thing for me to do is not go to them, right? The best thing for me to do is not go to my heathen neighbors next door to me and tell them about Jesus because if they don't know, they're going to heaven. That flips the gospel on its ear. And that plays right into the hand of the enemy who would say, you know, the best thing to do is just keep your mouth shut. So what about the heathen? That's answered. And then, verse 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, or a Catholic, or a Buddhist, or a Baptist, or a... Um, are you, are you, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Are you going to heaven? Um, well, I'm a Catholic. Okay, good. Are you saved Catholic or lost Catholic? Okay. Religious tags. God deals with that in the passage. Then you have... In verse 3, or chapter (coughs) 3, 
This one is the shortest of all of them uh, because for what if some did not believe? Verse, chapter 3, verse 3. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? I'm an atheist. I don't believe God exists. Can you imagine somebody saying that at the great white throne judgment? Well, I'm an atheist. God doesn't exist. Next. You see how God answers this? Yea, God forbid. You let God be true, but every man a liar. Next. And then the last one is a twisted and a convoluted and a perverse weirdness that you might run into every once in a blue moon. And yet it's out there. Verse 5 says this. It just, as, we, as you read this, this is, if you understand all this, let me know because this is twisted. Verse 5 says, if our righteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, how shall God judge the word, world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why am I yet also judged a sinner? And not rather as we be slanderously reported, some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Do you understand that? Huh? If you don't, good. That means you have a brain. <laughs> this is somebody who basically says, well, you know, God, you know, you're right. You know, I am a sinner. But see, the more I sin, God, the, more, the worse I am, the better you look. Therefore, you should let me into heaven because I'm glorifying you because I'm a sinner. <laughs> huh? And oh, by the way, God, it's your fault. Because you could have stopped Adam and Eve from sinning, and you didn't. And that's why it says in verse 4, for example, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. The last excuse that people get is to try to flip it and turn it and make it God's fault. It's your fault that I'm a sinner because you made me this way. I was born this way. Yes, you were. Okay? And the same God who allowed you to be born this way came to this earth and died on the cross for your sins and provided the payment for it, and it was your responsibility to accept that, and you chose not to. Okay? So that's a flip of the script and it's the final act of desperation to try to blame God for the problem. And that isn't going to work either. The final result then is in verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The gavel in his hand. Every mouth stopped. Won't that be great? Every smart mouth person who has thinks he has some answer to this problem will be shut down you ever known people like that you ever have i had a, a a guy i worked for years and years ago who great guy and i loved him he was he, he was tough but he was fair he's one of those good bosses that you have but boy he was tough and man when you would when you would come into his office 
something. You had done something you shouldn't have done or didn't do something you should have done because we all do those kind of things at, at work, you know, and just nobody's perfect, obviously. And, and, and he wasn't either. And he was a good man, and, 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 and he wasn't a tyrant or something like that. But, boy, he could just nail the problem instantly. And you would walk into his office and say, Greg, how come such and such? And you would go, well, you see, I, and he could shut it down just like that. Ron, yes, sir, you're right, and I'll try not to do that again the next time. <laughs> Out the door you go. You ever had some people like that that were that good at it? What about our Lord and Savior? What about our God? What about our Father? And here's a guy coming in with some smart mouth answer. Oh, yeah, well, if God can make a rock so big that he can't pick it up. <laughs> Where are you going? Yeah, okay, yeah, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Yeah, and they'll drop it on your head. Okay, next. <laughs> Word can't get his wife. <laughs> and all the idiots that come up with contradictions in the Bible, and God will shut them off. Every mouth stopped. All the world guilty before God. Gavel in his hand. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Bam! Depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and before you do, bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I ain't going to do it. Yes, you are. I don't want to. I don't care. You'll say it. Remember the old Happy Days show? Fonzie? There was a whole episode one time of Fonzie trying to say the word wrong. He couldn't say it. I was wrong. I was... You'll say it. I say you. I'm not talking about you if you because you know Christ as your Savior. Those who do not know Christ as their Savior will say it. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is, their la that is the confession, by the way, of Satan and the lost at the white throne judgment. And away they go, and it's done. Next, defend yourself. Well, God, I'm a good person. I never kill anybody. You know, yada, yada, yada. Here they go again. And over and over and over, that judgment will be finished and done with. When that is over, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. And again, you look at your uh, chart here the best we possibly can to keep it as simple as possible where we can wrap our head around it and yet as comprehensive enough to cover the things that need to be covered. Once that is over with, then we get ourselves into eternity future because revelation 20 is not the last chapter in the bible there's 21 and there's 22 as well and so let's get into a little bit of that the best that we know how to do okay what uh ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 uses the term the dispensation of the fullness of time this is when god fills up time when he uh when he restores everything that mankind has messed up. 
Uh, basically, if you want a storyline of the Bible, and there's a number of different ways to do that, as Mark laid out last night, the story of the, the theme of the Bible is God's glory and his kingdom, and we know that. But the basic storyline of the Bible is God makes everything perfect. We mess it up, then he puts it back in place. Okay? I mean, that's just kind of simple. And he gives us all the free will to be able to make our own decisions and choices in life. And some have asked, well, why is it that all this junk has happened in here? And then we get over here and God's got all this thing back perfect again. Why don't you just leave it perfect? Well, because by the time we get over here, where you have the dispensation of the fullness of times and eternity futures as well, his... Um, um, his spiritual creation, the, the angels and the host of heaven, and his human creation, mankind, who is the crowning jewel of his creation, by the way, when he, got, when he, when he created us and got done with us, he said, that's it, I'm done. I'm, that's the best I can do. Okay, And that element of his creation has been given a free will, and we all have made the choice. Love is not love unless it is returned. And what God does is he does things to manifest his nature and his attributes, and God is love. And so he made us to love him, and by the time we get here, one-third of the angels decided not to love him, all these human beings decided not to love him, and, and two-thirds decided to love him, and we chose to love him and return that by trusting Christ as Savior and all these other things that have happened here, and by the time you get here, those who are here have voluntarily chosen to respond and return that love by the act of their free will, and now they have the privilege and the opportunity of being with him forever and ever. God made this thing to be populated. He made the universe to be populated. Okay? Genesis chapter 1, God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, before any sin was there, he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. What if they had done that? Did God say, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth and sin first before, it ha before you do that so that we can have 6,000 years worth of war and disaster and bloodshed and then I'll fix it after? Did he say that? He said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, period. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air. He intended for them to carry that out. He did not give that command. He knew what would happen, but he did not give that command with, and say, well, now don't do it. What if they had? What if Adam and Eve had chosen not to sin? They would still be here. They would still be having children. And their children would still be having children, and their grandchildren would still be having grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren would still be having great-grandchildren, and we think we have a population problem now. What would have happened if for 6,000 years no one would have ever died? And the multiplication aspect of once every nine months a new child coming into the world where would we be? Where would we put them all? How would we sustain this? Where would be our sustainable development, Brian? God intended for that. He made a universe. 
Hebrews chapter 1 says God made the world plural. Is there intelligent life in outer space? There's no intelligent life on this planet, but is there intelligent life in outer space? Answer, yes. And in the tribulation period, mankind will tap into that intelligent life in outer space and then find out and wish to God they hadn't done that. And God made that universe out there to be inhabited. And someday that universe will be inhabited. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It's written out in your notes. For unto us a child is born. There's his first coming in the manger. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. There's the millennial reign of Christ where we get to uh, be the government and work in the government with him. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The next verse moves forward in history from there, from the millennium. It goes past the millennium. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That's not talking about the time frame. That's talking about the size of the increase, of the size of it. Of the increase of the government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even how long? Forever. The zeal, the passion that Mark talked about last night, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What? the increase of his government that will last forever. So if God runs out of space in the universe, he'll just make more. And we'll never run out of space in the universe. Do you know how big it is? I don't. I just, can you wrap, you can't wrap your head around how big that is. When, when, we don't get to see that as much now in, in the states at this particular point in time because we have so much light pollution and air pollution here. Uh, but every year we go down to Belize and take a, a mission trip down there, and if it lines up, because it's cloudy down there sometimes, but sometimes at night, every once in a while when we're down there at night, you're out in the middle of the jungle. You're in the middle of nowhere, and I mean nowhere. As a matter of fact, you have to actually drive somewhere to get to nowhere. Okay. And so as we're going through some of the villages there, and uh, you get to the, and, and if, if it works out sometime, we'll, I'll drive to some spot in between a couple of villages, pull off the road, and turn off the lights in the vehicle. And we sit there in the back of the pickup truck and look up. And it's just like the Milky Way goes. <laughs> and you're just seeing a little bit of it. Astronomers will tell us, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, but if you took a dime, a dime, and held it out at arm's length on a sky like that, you would be covering up about 10 billion galaxies. That's a big place. What did God make it for? Did he make, did he make all of that and then say, I'm just going to put you in this one little dirt ball down here called Earth? And leave you there for the be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth and just stay there. What's all the rest of this for, God? 
What's it for? Sin has been quarantined to this earth until it's dealt with. And once it's dealt with completely over the space of the 6,000 years plus then the thousand-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, then and only then man can achieve his purpose and accomplish what God created us to do, and that is to populate the universe. And the reason he won't let us do it now is because we make the movies called Star Wars, right? Why do we call them Star Wars? Because he knows that if we started populating other planets and other galaxies, that it would be intergalactic war instead of international war. That has to be dealt with. And once that's dealt with, and once it's finished and finalized, God has the opportunity now to take us where he wants us to be. Man will populate the universe. Now, so, now I'm going to get into some things, folks, that are going to make they're going to make your head's going to explode before we're done. Now, we're going to have to clean brain, brain splatter off the walls when we're done, okay? I want to tell you right now, I don't know what in the world I'm talking about. <laughs> For the next half hour or so, I have no idea. At, you can stick your hand in the question in the air and say, well, what about this? And I will give you my three favorite words in the English language, okay? I told you um, <coughs> um, our first time together, I said th this incessant desire to find out something that nobody else knows, I'm going to identify the Antichrist or set the date of the rapture and all that kind of stuff, is, is a plague of human nature in our life, inbred from, a, from the garden. Ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil. And we want to know something nobody else knows. And if somebody comes up with something and says, I found something in the Bible that nobody else has found, run! And then I'm going to now tell you something that I've found in the Bible that nobody else has found. <laughs> so I need the disclaimer right now that I do not know what I'm talking about here. This is just something I have seen that has bugged me for, I, I, I've been saved 39 years. And... Obviously, you've got to grow a little bit, find out a few things, but this has bugged me for well over 30 years, and I don't know what to do with this. I'm just going to throw it out to you and give it to you as self possible possibility and leave the disclaimer in there so that if somewhere, some along, uh, you find something that contradicts what I'm saying, I'm going to say, yeah, you're right, and I'm wrong, uh, and the problem you get with these kind of things is when people start dogmatically, doctrinally throwing it out, saying this has to be true, and if you don't agree with this, then we have to break fellowship. Okay, there are some battles worth fighting. The authority of my book right here, and you know which one I'm talking about, okay? The authority of my book, that's worth fighting about. I will go home to Jesus with this book in my hand. And I will never, ever, ever compromise the authority of this book in the English language. I am ready. I had a guy ask me that a little while ago, and I told him, uh, he said, well, are you really sure about that, that book? And I said, I am ready to right now to go home to Jesus and have him look me in the eye and say, you were wrong. Not until then will I ever back off and compromise from that book. Salvation by grace through faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. 
no speaking in tongues, eternal security, certain things like that are worth fighting about. Half of what we've talked, the, the basic structure of this, that Jesus is coming again, literally, to, that's worth fighting about. There's going to be a rapture of the church at any moment. That's worth standing and firm upon. No compromise, okay? Much of this, some of the stuff that is in here, you know, not necessarily a point of doctrinal confrontation. If somebody, just put it this way, anybody out there who genuinely is born again and trying to win other people to Jesus Christ and teach them what they know the best they can about the Bible is on our team. Okay? We may not agree with them on a lot of different things. We may not even agree with them enough to be able to fellowship together with them. But people, we, we, we got to quit fighting each other <laughs> properly. We, we, we got to understand that. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, all sitting together and holding hands and kumbaya, my Lord, smoke dope together and have all this great stuff. You know, no, it's not, not, not the issue, okay? There are certain things worth standing upon and fighting for, and then there are certain things that are just fun to deal with, and they're nice speculation, and they're stuff I'm going to throw out that I'm thinking, uh, this has bugged me for years and years and years, and I can't get past it, and I don't know what to do with it, so now I'm going to share it with you and make you as weird as me. <laughs> okay? When you find things in the Bible that you don't know what to do with, one of the basic fundamental rules of Bible study is do not compromise what you do know for sure. Okay? I do know for sure this book is God's word in English. I do know for sure that Jesus is coming back very soon to take us home to be with him. I do know for very, very sure that he is coming back to this earth to set up his kingdom. I do know for very, very sure that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and, and, and loved me enough to do so when I didn't deserve it. I know those things for a fact. And so if I find something that I don't know, I'm going to play with it because God's word is inexhaustible in these areas. And I'm going to think about it. I'm going to ponder it. And I'm, I've got all sorts of weird things. Like I've got weird stuff goes on between these ears. Okay? So I tell my people, my job is to read the Bible, find weird stuff, and then tell you about it. <laughs> So look over in Revelation chapter 21. Our God is a God of order, a God of structure, a God of precision. Um, Albert Einstein was witness to shortly before he died, and he said this. He said, I cannot believe in a God that is not a mathematical formula. He died and he faced a God who was, for, was way far more mathematically precise than Albert Einstein could imagine in 10 million years. And when God starts doing, laying out some things like this, it bugs me, it puzzles me. In Revelation chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there is no more sea that sea is the one at the top of the universe 
That is the crystal sea up there that Brian alluded to earlier that right now separates and divides God from his creation. God is in his throne, his creation down here, and his creation has been corrupted. Even the stars are not pure in his sight, according to the book of Job. Uh, well, at one point in time, at some point, that's going to be restored and fixed back up. Jesus will reign for a thousand years. We will have a white throne judgment, and then he will put creation back the way that it's supposed to be, and that sea will then be divided, it will be gone, and there'll be no more division or barrier between God and his creation. God will be his creation, and his creation will be in him. He will fill all in all, according to Ephesians, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 2 says, I, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's our city, folks. That's where we're going to live. That's our headquarters forever and ever. You ever read the, uh, um, the wedding announcements in, in, the, uh, in the newspaper? Every once in a while they'll do this. I don't know if they do this much anymore, uh, but they used to have a section where, you know, here's the wedding announcement, so-and-so is, you know, daughter's married this guy and whatever, and he does this and she does that. And then it always ended with, and they will live in whatever. And they tell you where the couple is going to move into, and that's where they're going to live. Why do they do that? Everything patterns itself after the Bible because God has told us that we are his bride and, and Christ is our, is our groom, our husband, right? And then he tells us where we're going to live. This is our city, New Jerusalem. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God and wipe away all their tears from their eyes. No more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. The former things are passed away. Are you ready? Let's go, man, let's go. What are you, come on, God, what are you waiting for? And he, sa and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, these words are speculative and symbolical, and apocalyptic and spiritual. No. They are faithful and true. And he said, it, I am, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is a thirst, the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. Can you imagine that? When they shoot a rocket up into space and land it on Mars or the moon, or there's th that's my dirt. I own that. It's mine. The fearful and unbelieving and abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars have their part in a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone the second death. That's cordoned off in a corner of the universe someplace, and now God has made everything perfect and new again. And then he says this, There come to me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. He carried me away in the spirit to the great and high mountain, showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. The light was like a stone most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Just the most incredibly beautiful um, description of this city. Now, I want you to notice as we come through, I have it in your notes there, the predominance of the twelves that are in this chapter and a few other isolated places in the Bible to bring into this. And as I've been playing with this and playing with this and playing with it, bugging me to death about this, 
been able to perhaps identify, and I, again, I can be totally wrong on this. I'm just speculating that there is a system of 12 12s because God is precise, right? How many times do you see 12 connected to the city of New Jerusalem? Because God is, one of his numbers is 12. That's why he had 12 tribes called the nation of Israel. And this is, this millennial reign is the number 12 will be all over it. 12 thrones, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, okay? Had a wall great and high, 12 gates, see it? 12 angels in verse 12. 12 angels, okay? We replaced the one-third of the angels who fell. When God makes something, he makes it right, doesn't he? God doesn't do rough draft. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. When the next verse says, and the earth without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep, somebody else stepped in and messed that up. God didn't make a rough draft and go, okay, we'll see, now, now what am I going to do? Let me see if I can clean this and make this a little bit better. No. When God does something, he does it right the first time. And so if he's going to put it back, he's going to be, put it back exactly the way that it was before. And since one-third of the angels fell, and they were sons of God in the past, and now we are sons of God, we get to take their place. And it will be put back the way that it was before. There's 12 tribes in verse 12 as well. There are 12 foundations of the city in verse 14. There are 12 apostles of the Lamb sitting upon 12 thrones. They, get their, they start their position with the Lord uh, in the millennial reign. According to Matthew chapter uh, 19, you 12 who have followed me, will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel in the regeneration, and then it just continues to go on from there. In Revelation chapter 22, there are, he showed me a pure river of water of life. Brian alluded to that. Can you imagine that water? Imagine how good that water will taste. Imagine how pure that water will be when there's no filth, no curse, no sin, no nothing. It's all gone. It's all back to not it's all, not just back to where it was in the garden but better if you can possibly be that way okay so there's a river that runs through that city verse 2 says the midst of the street of it on either side of the river there was the tree of life which bare 12 manner of fruits so there's 12 manner of fruits on that tree of life. That tree of life, by the way, if you remember the story in Genesis chapter 3 after Adam sinned, it says that God uh, guarded the tree of life. He said, put an angel there and a cherubim and said, I'm going to guard this thing with flaming swords lest Adam and Eve would come and eat of this and live forever. Have, had Adam and Eve came to the tree of life and partook of that after their sin before Calvary, they would still be alive today. And God said, no, that's not the plan. I'm not going to have you just go ahead and sin and then eat of this tree of life and take care of it that way. I, my plan is to glorify my son and send him to this earth to die on the cross for sins. And that's how he dealt with it that way. So there's 12 manner of fruits on the tree of life, and there's 12 months in the year, right? It says 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of, of the nations. Now that is the thing that has just bugged me ever since I started reading it. Wait, this is after the white throne judgment, right? 
if this is after the white throne judgment and after all the lost people are in hell and now we're all in heaven sitting on clouds with white robes playing harps and eating marshmallows why do we need this that's not that that image we have of saint peter standing at the pearly gates allowing people to come in and we just float in the ether forever is just not accurate biblically we have more in store for us so why do we have these leaves of the tree and the fruit thereof that is for the healing of the nations brian talked about it going over and picking a leaf off and helping why is that god's going to put that back why do the why are there still nations in the bible nations are not what we think nations are not united states and india and belize and it's not geographical borders nations are groups of people they're humans they're gentiles they're people and jews as well which is the nation of god right so why do they need to be healed well, okay, we are raptured out. We get conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get his body, with his soul, his, we, our own soul, his body, his mind, his spirit. We're conformed to his image, okay? We are like little Christ running around. But there's people who live all the way through this time. And he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. And what happens? He goes into the kingdom because he endured to the end, but he does not get a glorified body like we do. And then he starts reproducing and, 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 and having people. A child dies at 100 during the millennial reign, right? Well, there's still people dying here. That's human beings. We don't die anymore at that point in time. We are conformed to his image. We live forever. We have eternal life, okay? But there's still people being born during this um, millennial reign here. There's still people sinning, and they're reproducing. And then we get to the great white throne judgment, and there's still people like that. There's still the Adamic sin nature that is there that has to be cleansed. And the leaves of the tree of the tree of life, the tree of life is there in Genesis chapter 3. It disappears from the Bible, except it's mentioned a couple of times in Proverbs as just a spiritual representation of the tree that Jesus Christ died upon. Okay, he that wineth souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. He that wineth souls is, is, is wise. It's a reference to the cross of Calvary that, that Jesus died on. But there's no tree of life with leaves on it that people can eat until after, after the millennium. Not during, after the millennium. There's a tree of life there. And that tree of life has to heal people. Well, I thought we were all perfect by then. I thought we were all in heaven with white robes and harps and clouds and marshmallows. No. They have to do something. They, they partake of that tree of life. And when they partake of that tree of life, it reverses their sin nature, just like it would have in Genesis chapter 3, had Adam and Eve partaken of that. And now they have the ability in their human bodies to live forever in the human body that God gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Okay, now let's start doing that. And how soon are we going to run out of space? On this earth, 
Brian alluded to this, there are 12 major land areas for the Gentile nations. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 tells you that. There are 12 stones on the breastplate of Aaron. There are 12 constellations in the universe, and the zodiac is a counterfeit of that. Everything that mankind gets involved in God is, is God's truth. Nobody messes with anything that, it, that does not have an element of truth in it, and then they twist it and pervert it for their own purposes. There are, so there's 12 constellations in the universe. Genesis chapter 1 says the morning and the evening were the first day, right? So morning and evening were there from the very beginning. So there's 12 hours in an evening and 12 hours in a morning. So you have 12 twelves at that particular point in time, okay? God's covenant with Israel is for a thousand generations, according to Psalm chapter 100, uh, 105. If that's literal, and a generation is roughly about 40,000 years, and again, there's no time with God, so again, what about, I don't know. I, I, this is just speculatively throwing this out because I do know a few things. And what I do know is that when we get here to eternity future, it's just the full circle of where we started in Genesis chapter 1 where God told us to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. He intended it to be carried out. And he wants us to do so. I do know that much. And I do know that by the time we do get to eternity future, we will be conformed to the image of Christ, but there will be other human beings who will be in their natural bodies and they will have to partake of the tree of life. Now what do we do with them? I do know God intended that to be carried out. I don't know how. I don't know what. But if that system is employed, couples can be commissioned to come and replenish the universe from New Jerusalem throughout eternity. When you see New Jerusalem come down from God out of heaven, for example, back in chapter 21, um, look at verse uh, 21, 21, 21, Revelation. The 12 gates were of 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass, so pure that you can see through it. Can you imagine so gold, so pure you can see through it? Wow. I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. The glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. How do the nations of saved people, by the time we get over here, there are still people and nations on this earth who have come through this whole thing and are saved, either in the tribulation, Old Testament, millennium, whatever it might be. How do they walk into that city? There has to be a way to get there. There has to be a point of contact. There has to be a point of entry. And without, because I'm almost out of time, without getting a long thing here, the universe is shaped like a pyramid, and this thing is a cube 1,500 miles on either side, and it comes down in cube triangle type, this type of shape comes down, and that point hits right at Jerusalem. And when that point hits, Jerusalem on earth and New Jerusalem have a gate have an entrance. Why does it need a gate? Why does it have an entrance? And why do nations come into it? That's our city. That's where we live. That's our headquarters, right? Why do the nations come in there? 
the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So there's people coming in and out of that city. Why do they come there? There shall in no wise enter anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So here they come. They come into that city. Well, why do they come into that city? I don't know. I wish I did. But I'm speculating. But God made the universe to be, pop, to be public, to be populated. He made us to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. He made a, he, he, he said of his kingdom an increase, there will be no end. The size of it will never end. And the duration of it will never end. And if people are multiplying, God, that's God's um, nature to continue to just multiply his glory and his kingdom and his increase forever and ever and ever. And so if that's the case, we are the sons of God and we replace the one-third of the angels and we rule with Christ for the millennial reign, but then what do we do? Well, then it's all over and we just sit down and eat our marshmallows. No, there's got to be more to that. Okay? God makes it perfect. We mess it up. He restores it and then and then kicks it off into something that's going to populate for all of eternity. We are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We have his spirit given to us at the time of salvation. Uh, his spirit joined with ours, Romans chapter 8. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, So uh, our spirit is dead when we... Uh, when we're born into this world. We're born as a sinner with, a, with no connection spiritually to God. And when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are born again, and the Spirit of God comes in and joins with our spirit and regenerates it and brings it back into a marriage relationship where the two become one. Then the soul is sealed unto the day of redemption, and now we have this stupid carcass on the outside of us that we're carrying around for the 60, 80, 100 years we live on this earth, and then we shed this carcass. And when we do, our soul has already been sealed to the day of redemption. We get hit, God takes our vile body, fashions it like unto his glorious body, and we become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What is different about it, each one of us, what is unique about us is our soul, right? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What? Know ye not? that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit belong to God. Why? Because he has now bought this one with a price, the body, and his spirit has been joined to your spirit, and therefore it is his now because he's the husband, we're the wife, and we are one with him spiritually, and so we are his that way. But he did not mention the soul in those verses. You know why? That's you. That's me. We are a soul with a spirit inside that animates us and gives us human life right now and a corpse or a body on the outside, a shell like that. 
And when we get this, at this point, we become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in his glorified body with a body on the outside. The spirit has already been given to us. We'll have his mind in us. But what is unique about us is the soul. That's how we will identify each other for all of eternity. We will go over and say, there's Brian's soul, there's Sam's soul, there's Gary's soul. There's, there, the soul is what makes us unique creation of God. What shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? It's yours. That's the only thing you have. It's the only possession you own is your soul. That's what makes us unique. And then we're conformed to God's image. And New Jerusalem becomes our headquarters. We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We own the entire universe. And that universe is pretty big. And so if that's the case, and you have human beings still here on earth, and they can come in to New Jerusalem... A couple comes in from a land boundary, Australia, in June, um, in the evening, and lines up with, with uh, the Apostle James and goes through the fourth gate and partakes of this particular tree of life. And one of the twelves in there are the angels. And, he, and that couple comes in and they partake of that tree of life and their bodies are healed and their sin nature has been eradicated but they still have the ability and capacity to reproduce as Adam and Eve did in the garden which God withheld and restrained until they passed their probation time. And then the Lord comes to them and he's there on that throne in Jerusalem forever. It's the capital of the universe now. And ever and ever and ever and ever. And he says... Blessed be thou, uh, you know, Johnny and Susie. Be thou fruitful and multiply and replenish. Star number blue. Ready to go? How are they going to get there? Hey, Greg, come here a minute. This couple right here, they want to be in your galaxy. Oh, that's awesome. Come on, let's go. Load them up. Here we go. <laughs> Ten million light years later, boom. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish this planet. And oh, by the way, I'll be the king of this galaxy. For lack of a better term, conform to his image, we will be as God. We will be kings of galaxies. Now, is that a pretty good ROI? Pretty good deal, huh? God asks us now to spend 50, 60, however many years he gives us as a believer in Jesus Christ, dedicated to his cause, concerned about others who need to know Jesus, willing to sacrifice what we need to sacrifice in order to be, um, uh, in order to bring forth his glory and his kingdom so that somebody somewhere else can also be conformed to his image so that at some point in time we get to be 
reigning with him for a thousand years, that'll be pretty sweet. But then, a king of a galaxy with stars and, and planets and multiplying forever and ever and ever. And when they get filled up, God says, no problem, we'll just make more. My head is exploded, and I don't know what to do with that, but it has bugged me forever and ever. Now I've shared it with you. Now it'll keep you awake. You're welcome. Don't forget, don't forget, what we wanted to try to accomplish in this um, conference, basically, as, we, as, as I introduced when we got started, was I wanted to give you something that was simple enough that you could, that just the common folk like us, I'm just a regular guy like anybody else, the common people like us could wrap our head around it and go, okay, I get it, understand, there's a church age, we're just about done with it, Jesus is coming back, take us home, there's going to be all this hell on earth for a while, in the middle of the tribulation period, everything's going to flip, and then he's coming back and set up his kingdom here at this point in time, and when he sets up his kingdom, we're going to reign with him, and then we're going to go out to eternity, it's never going to end. Okay, I got that basic template and framework. If somebody comes along with some off-the-wall nonsense like I just gave you, but uh, so <laughs> no, some, some, somebody comes along with some off-the-wall nonsense, this is comprehensive enough that you're going to be able to look at it and go, hmm, yeah or no. And now you have more questions than what you had when I first got up here to stand up and talk to you. Right? Okay? So do I, and that means we've had a successful conference. Father, thank you for Jesus and his love for us. Dismiss us tonight or today with your blessings. We still have tonight to go. We still have a Q&A time to go as well. Give us a good lunch, Lord, and help us just relax and enjoy the time together. And uh, help us, Lord, to wrap our heads around as best we can some of this stuff. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for laying out enough of the future to let us know that you love us. You have a plan for us. You have a glory for us to participate with you because of what you did for us on the cross of Calvary. May all honor and glory go to my Savior, Jesus, who died for me. We ask it in his name. Amen and amen. What's our schedule? We're going to break for lunch for a little bit and then come back.